Season 5, Episode 3, Kitchen 101, with special guest Vera Stewart. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Millennial Homemakers Podcast, your resource for all things home, hostessing, and more. We're your hosts, Jackie Alexander and Jacqueline Humble. Hey, y'all. Welcome to our episode this week. We have a special guest today, and she is the guest that we are the most excited about having this far. Not saying we haven't loved our other guests or been excited about them, but growing up in Augusta, Georgia, Vera Stewart of Very Vera has been a culinary icon. I mean, she's been an icon, like you said, in Augusta for so long, and now she's kind of branched out and made a name for herself, you know, across the country, which is so exciting. Vera Stewart is a Southern TV show host, entrepreneur, caterer, cake expert, and mentor. Her cooking and lifestyle show, The Very Vera Show, premiered in Augusta, Georgia in 2012 and is now syndicated to 13 markets in the Eastern U.S., including Savannah, Charleston, Tampa, Greenville, and Indianapolis. Very Vera Cooking Camp enters its 16th year this year and has franchise locations in Aiken, Charleston, Macon, Beaufort, and Indianapolis. Vera's debut cookbook, The Very Vera Cookbook, Recipes from My Table, hit shelves in April 2018, garnering praise from fans and media publications alike. And we're very excited. If you go to VeriVera.com, Vera and her wonderful crew have given us a promo code just for Millennial Homemakers listeners. So if you want one of these cookbooks, and you will, especially after you hear Vera talk, when you check out, just use MHPOD10, and we'll include the link and that promo code in the show notes. And y'all, it doesn't have an expiration date. So if you have a wedding shower coming up, birthdays, you can grab a few extras. And I actually, I'll kind of go into it with the interview, but I got the cookbook under my Christmas tree and I squealed when I saw it because I was just so excited. Definitely, if you are a Southern chef or baker, or if you're an aspiring Southern chef or baker, you just want more Southern in your life, grab this book. It is great. Yes, absolutely. All right, here's the interview. Okay, Vera, let's start with what got you interested in cooking and baking? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I grew up in a in a household with a mom that was um, a homemaker for a number of years and then went back to the classroom. And um, she managed to pull off a, a pretty decent meal every night, later for me only to learn that it was hamburger helper. <laughs> I, I was always amazed at the aroma that would be, you know, coming in if I came in late because I had an extracurricular activity. But my grandmother was also um, a very devoted um, homemaker and housewife. And um, actually, the name of my business, Very Vera, um, I was named for her. She was Vera. And her friends called her Very Vera because even if she was making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, it had a cherry on top and a frilled toothpick. So I just, oh, I, I, I guess I was just kind of mesmerized by the whole thing as a, as a young person. I absolutely <laughs> love that. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I love Very Vera. That's always been such a cute name and brand mm-hmm. that you have. It's just perfect. Well, um, and you know, I've always said that with a name like Very Vera, you better be able to back it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, the energy that people keep saying, how do you stay so energized? I guess I don't have any choice. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> That's really cute. Well, speaking Mm -hmm. of that, um, one thing that we always ask our guests when they come on the show is to give us three words to describe their style. So what three words you can do phrases to, would you use to describe your cooking style? It can be your personal style, whatever you want to describe. Well, I almost fell out of my chair when I was, you know, (laughs) reading some of what you all sent to me. (laughs) There, you know, back in the day when I started thinking, I'm going to do this little business and I'm going to name it Very Vera and I'm going to name it after my grandmother. And so I'm the middle of five children. And I reached out to my siblings and I said, does anybody have a really cool picture of my grandmother that uh-huh. I could use to kind of represent this? And so here comes this vintage late 1940s 
photograph of my grandmother and my mother. And so that would have been daughter-in-law and mother-in-law um, in the kitchen, at the stove, with the aprons on, with the <laughs> nail polish, the pearls, the whole nine yard. Looks completely posed, and it, of course, was not. And um, our motto for our company and the representation, you know, with photography was that picture and under it, it said, just like mama made it. <laughs> that, was, that was one of your suggestions. Uh-huh. And, um, I just thought, well, you know, that's what, and even in my mail order business, we would say, you know, um, you could put the cake on your cake stand and people would think that you made it yourself. Or you could buy our casserole and put it into your own Pyrex and they would never know. So it was the closest thing to your own that you could mm-hmm. get. Um, and so I, I honestly really stand by this to this day, um, even represented in our cookbook, that these recipes are you know about as close to mama made it as you can get. Uh, well, I agree. And I wrote those words thinking of you. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. <laughs> so, before we start recording, you were talking a little about when you saw a millennial homemaker, you were like, oh, that's an oxymoron. <laughs> and so, what have you seen as far as homemaking, how it's changed in your lifetime? Well, it, you know, and, and you've described it so well, you know, as I followed you in this podcast on. You know, leave it to Beaver. You know, there's Gene Cleaver in the kitchen and all that. So, you know, when when you ask somebody what they do nowadays, if they if they don't work and they stay at home, they're they're coming up with a million things that they could think of before mm-hmm. they say, "I'm a stay at home mom" or "I'm a full time homemaker." You just don't hear that terminology anymore. And you know, for me, looking back over time and and the fact that, you know, I, I started as a, you know, as a young child, you know, with a mother that stayed at home. But um, and I and I tell this story in the book. I lost my dad when I was seven and my mother um, had five children. Oh, wow. And she was 40 years old. And thank goodness, you know, she had a college education and, you know, she she stepped right into a situation where she just pulled up her bootstraps and said, I'm going to figure this out. And she she went to the classroom. So I was I was raised in a household, you know, with a very strong female figure that also managed to incorporate the importance of being a good manager of a home and also be a full-time working mother. And so the, the the home management to me is part of being a homemaker. I would like to think that after 35 years of owning my own company, that I'm still a homemaker. You mm-hmm. know, you know, when I leave work tonight, I'm going to, you know, go home and, you know, either throw what I put in the washing machine this morning in the dryer or, you know, start dinner or, or whatever it is. And and the pride that, that I take in managing that aspect of my life is important. So, you know, moms, moms don't really, you know, don't really stay at home anymore. But I would think if you if you approached it from that standpoint in a question that, you know, the majority of them are going to feel still say that they take homemaking as a very important part of their life. Absolutely. I agree. I, cause have, you can't run a successful home if someone's not stepping up and managing it. And it does often fall on the women. And now that more and more women are working it doesn't stop. They just have to learn how to uh, balance it a little more. Well, and, you know, I, I, I raised two sons and, mm-hmm. of course, they, you know, they, they were raised in a home where I was, you know, making sure that everything was being done. But I was also, you know, a full-time caterer. So there were late nights. There, were, there was weekend work a lot. And, mm-hmm. you know, I might have missed a few soccer games and a golf tournament here and there. But for the most part, I managed to to be the room mother and also go to work. But I think what what is what it what I see as the biggest change is that these dads are participating. You know, yes. my mm-hmm. two sons are very, very engaged as as dads. 
Um, you know, one son is a radiation oncologist. The other son owns his own graphic design branding agency. You know, they have very full, successful professional careers, but they're bathing the children. They're reading the story. They're spending the entire weekend, you know, doing things with those children. And, you know, that's new. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my my vintage and and older than that, there wasn't a lot of participation. You know, we do go back to the, you know, to the ward cleaver. You know, he was the disciplinarian and that was pretty much the role he played. You know, you just wait till your father gets home. You know, <laughs> what's what, mm-hmm. you know, uh, June Cleaver would have said. Um, but there's there's certainly a lot more shared responsibility in homemaking now, I think, between the husband and the wife. I agree. And it's fantastic because it takes a lot of the pressure off since there is a lot to do. And since so many people, you know, are working where both spouses or or both members of the family are working. Correct. So you've touched on this a little bit, but why uh, do you think that homemaking is still important? Well, it's funny how you you never know what what direction your life is going to turn. And then maybe 10 years later, you say, oh, OK, now I get it. And as a as a mother of two sons, you know, I did my best to, to do have the influence in their life that I felt like was important. And mm-hmm. for me now to watch them as fathers and, you know, as, as a parent to see some of the things that I never even knew they were paying that much attention to be evident in the way they're raising their own children and the things, (laughs) the little routines that they go through and the, um, you know, some of the weekend activities, for example, my, my older son and his family just came from a ski trip out West. And, you know, that's, that was the vacation that we took. You know, we didn't take the summer beach vacation. We took the winter ski vacation. And so he's and he is now taking that tradition to his family. So I think the influences that good home management brings as far as child rearing is so mm-hmm. important, you know, that whether you make your bed before you go to school. You know, do you right. do you get up in time that making the bed up is part of the routine? Right. And if that becomes ingrained, then as they become adults and as they, you know, they go off to college and they come home and they say, oh, Mom, you know, the the guys are so messy, you know, <laughs> up everywhere. And, and they didn't grow up like that. So they, that, that's, that's kind of strange to them. So I, I mm-hmm. think that the child rearing and, and keeping a managed home affects the personality and the strategies that a young person takes with them into adulthood. Mm-hmm. What are essential tools to keep in a kitchen? Because one of the things that, one of the reasons, I guess, that we went to bring you on was to talk about kind of like kitchen basics for people who maybe aren't right. as well acquainted with their kitchen or they're registering, <laughs> um, they're about to get married, so they need to kind of get an idea of what some essential tools that you think everyone must have. Well, uh, you, you know, you're going to, when you're doing all that registering stuff, and if you're not familiar with the kitchen and you didn't grow up in a house where somebody liked to cook, you really, you really don't have any idea. And the, you know, the price point on all that stuff goes from, you know, nothing to the most expensive thing takes your breath away yes. how much it costs. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, I, I think if you, if, if very, very expensive cookware is something that you really don't think anybody would give you that's on a registry, you know, there, there's so much moderately priced cookware out there that, that provides an even cooking um, mm-hmm. situation. And as long as you prepare that pan, if you pan coat it with pan spray or make sure that there's plenty of oil in the bottom of it before you start doing whatever you're doing. You know, you can you can prepare your pots before you cook in them and make them better useful items than you know than what you would pay a lot of money for to not have to do that prep work. 
you know, if I had to name my my most favorite thing that I use in the kitchen, it is my rubber spatula. And it is, it's an EXO. Oh, I love EXO. Um, okay, good to know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I love the way it feels in my hand. I can I can use it when I'm baking a cake. Mm-hmm. I can use it in the pan when I'm sauteing onions. It never changes. It doesn't get curled at the end. It has strength. So if you're if you're folding egg whites into something, you can go all the way down to the bottom of the pan and it just comes together. If you are, you know, preparing something in volume in a pan that's hot, it 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 it's not affected. I mean, if there was one thing I could not live without, I mean, I've got a million of them. I just have them. <laughs> and then the other thing that I can't imagine not having in my kitchen is a seasoned cast iron skillet. Yes, and, I agree you know, with that. I mean, I've got the one. I mean, we were all fighting over who was going to inherit the cast iron skillet, <laughs> you know, because it was so preserved and so well seasoned that you could crack an egg and it literally just slid around that pan like nobody's business. No, I have I have a well-seasoned cast iron skillet from my husband's grandmother who passed away two years ago. Um, and that I was so thrilled that we got that from her because she's a good Southern cook and I didn't grow up eating out of a cast iron skillet. Um, so I, I was just so thrilled to get that. So I totally agree. And I, I, uh, treasure mine. It's in the oven right now with cornbread in it baking while we're, interview- <laughs> while we're doing this interview. My husband is on cornbread duty. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, you know, and, and then these things that are your favorite things, like, you know, one of the questions I've been asked a lot is how do you, you know, keep from getting in a rut on menu Mm -hmm. planning, you know, like when you're entertaining Mm -hmm. um, and that sort of thing. And I've, I've, I've gone past, I guess I've just kind of maybe jumped off the deep end here, but now I'll, I'm so into presentation and I guess my 35 years of catering, you can't, you can't display the same menu the same way. (laughs) You've got to come up with different things. So I love to consider what my vessels for my food are going to be. And then I make my menu around my vessels. So if I am going to do, um, if I'm doing a menu and I want to use a look that's very rustic and I'm going to, I want to have a cast iron skillet and I want to have this old pottery bowl and I want to have my grandmother's bread bowl and, you know, some of these other things, um, I will lay all of that out and make my buffet and then I'll decide what I'm going to put in those things. And so it is, oh, the, that's interesting. it is the absolute reversed order of how you would plan a menu. So a lot of times I'll use the cast iron skillet to put the chicken in that's already fried and let that be the serving bowl. Oh, and I love that. I, I won't, and I won't put bread in the bread bowl. I'll put the slaw or something like that. And if you're afraid that the oil or the mayonnaise or whatever is going to penetrate that wooden um, bowl and cause any damage to it, you know, you can line the bottom, mm-hmm. you know, with some saran and put some leaf lettuce and protect it. And, and the people going through the buffet line would not see that. Um, so those those are kind of my ideas there as far as essential tools. Um, do, go kind of related to that. Do you have any key ingredients that you always keep on hand? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I and this is so old school, but I I can see my grandmother right now pulling kitchen bouquet out of the pantry when she was making gravy. And some people listening to this right now have no clue I what have kitchen no bouquet is. <laughs> I have no clue either. Oh, my God. Okay, you have got to Google it. Okay. So when you think about the best chicken gravy, if you if there's like a restaurant that you go to and mm-hmm. get the fried chicken and the rice and gravy, it is just drop dead, unbelievable. They've put a dash or two of kitchen buffet in it. So it's where all the dry seasonings are, and it's a liquid, and it just it adds the brown color 
and it changes the flavor. I mean, you would have to read the ingredients label to know everything that's in it. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm pulling out that kitchen bouquet, no, no doubt about it. I'm adding then, it to my grocery list right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then dark keys. Are you familiar no. with dark keys? Oh my goodness. No. Oh, we're learning so much. This is exciting. So even though Jackie and I are both, we grew up in Augusta, Jackie's parents were from New Jersey and mine mm-hmm. are from Miami and Baltimore. So we're not Oh my totally gosh. Well, y'all are getting a real education yeah. today. Educate us. Yes, we, we have a lot of listeners in the UK too. So oh, you wow. can just so educate all of us. Maybe they can order it on Amazon. <laughs> So on my um, page in the cookbook, when I talk about my egg salad, uh-huh. and everybody mm-hmm. loved our egg salad. Well, see, until I printed that cookbook, I never gave any of these recipes away. Oh, so everybody good. was always yeah. trying to figure out why my egg salad was so good, and it's the darkies. Okay, so darkies is where the mustard and the mayonnaise is in the grocery store. And it's kind mm-hmm. of a more of a mustardy taste, but it's just a very unique flavor profile. And it's awesome on a, you know, on Thanksgiving afternoon when you're making a turkey sandwich and you put mayonnaise on the bread, you spread a little bit of dark mm-hmm. keys on there too. Oh my gosh. It is delicious. So is it kind of like a more mustardy may- like yes. mayonnaise? Okay. Yes. Okay. My yes. husband would love that. Hmm. So I'll have to buy oh, it. That. Is, and it's great on a ham sandwich, but I put it in my deviled eggs. I put it in my egg salad. Um, I put it in my slaw. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Then That's really personal too. <laughs> all right. The next secret ingredient uh-huh. is chili, Pines chili sauce. Mm-hmm. Okay, I use that for, I cannot tell you how much stuff. I mean, I make a vinaigrette dressing that the secret ingredient is Heinz chili sauce. I put it in my meatloaf. I put it in, um, uh, I put it in soup sometimes just to add another kick. So it's got tomato, it's got, you know, some horseradish. It's, um, if you're going to make your own tartar sauce for fish, you want to throw in a little chili sauce. Um, it's, it's just a great ingredient. And then finally, Italian dressing. I mean, if you're, if you are lost about what to marinate something in, or if you need to, you know, throw in a little moisture into anything that you're doing, um, you know, use Italian dressing instead of chicken broth or, you know, if, if something seems a little bit dry, throw in mm-hmm. Italian dressing. And that's just no-name brand out of the bottle. I love Italian dressing, and I love Heinz chili sauce. I know, me too. That's a good mm-hmm. one. Uh, Jordan's grandmother used to cook with that, too. So y'all oh. are a lot alike <laughs> in that. Um, so speaking of that, what are some of your go-to weeknight meals and I'm not talking hamburger helper, though. You could say that. <laughs> well, you know, we we love, you know, my husband has just recently retired from 47 years of practicing law. So as we speak today, he has been making his famous spaghetti sauce. Okay. And he makes a huge batch of it. And then we package it up you know, into amounts that are perfect for the two of us. And then we'll pull out, you know, spaghetti sauce on a night where, you know, we, we're both getting in late. He might have played golf and I'm just, at, I'm always at work. So that's, that's a great go-to. And I, I promise you, I never get tired of it. There's just, there's something really great about spaghetti. And then another one of our go-tos is if we what really want to do something a little bit on the lighter side. We always keep frozen, boneless, skinless chicken breast in the freezer and just throw, you know, a couple of chicken breasts on the grill. And then, you know, we just make a salad and he makes his own salad dressing, which is a family passed down from his mother. And we'll just do a grilled chicken salad um, for supper. So generally speaking, one of those, will show up every week on the mm-hmm. menu. But um, we're kind of basic on 
you know, our meals. Um, he, you know, we love meatloaf. We love to cook a steak on the grill. We eat a lot of fish. We eat a lot of chicken. So now that, you know, we're empty nesters, unless the grandchildren are coming over and you've got to have macaroni and cheese and chicken strips, you know, we, we like to do, you know, just our favorites throughout the week. We have some listeners that are just starting to live on their own for the first time or never really think of themselves as good cooks. So do you have any easy go-to recipes that anyone could do? Absolutely. My all-time favorite. I don't I've never met somebody that didn't love pot roast. That is true. That Very is true. Like- <laughs> I mean, if I if I need to go take a meal to somebody, somebody's had a baby, there's been a death in the family, whatever. Um, I generally keep one in my freezer and then the other things that you need to do to make it you generally have Mm -hmm. so my absolute go-to would be if your grocery store or your butcher has a bone-in chuck roast so if you can get a chuck Mm -hmm. roast that has the bone in it you're going to end up with the pot roast that literally falls apart that is so moist so tender that it just melts in your mouth if you're going to not find a bone in, then just look for one that's got some good marbling. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want the leanest cut when you're doing a pot roast because the, the fat and the marbling is where the flavor comes from. All right. Then I I cook mine in either a, you know, a Dutch oven, a slow cooker with a lid that I could put in the oven, or I use my crock pot. And basically, Mm -hmm. it is just the raw pot roast. You're going to put a package of Lipton onion soup mix all over the top of it. Then you're going to put a can of cream of mushroom soup on the top of that. Then you're going to put whatever vegetables you want, um, quartered onions, um, peeled and and, onions. cubed carrots, uh, celery, uh, you can put cabbage, um, any whatever vegetable. You can put mushrooms, whole mushrooms, and you're not going to put any liquid or anything. And you're going to slow cook that for about three to three and a half hours. And it, not only will your house smell marvelous, it is just the meal that everybody loves. And then the only thing else you have to do is, you know, maybe cook, have a salad because you've got all of your vegetables in it. If you put potatoes as one of your vegetables, you've already got your starch or you could cook some rice. And when you pull the roast out of the pot, you can just thicken up what's in the bottom with a little bit of cornstarch and make gravy. That is my favorite pot roast recipe. Jackie can attest to that because I've it's very delicious. But what I do is I add like a half a cup of red wine. Have you ever done that? No, but that sounds wonderful. It, it gives it like a different, I don't know if it's like an acidic flavor to it, but uh-huh. my mom, my mom makes it just like you do. And then one time, I don't know what got into me. There's like a restaurant in town that does a red wine pot roast. And I thought, huh, I'm drinking some red wine. I might add it's black. <laughs> and it came out really well. So that, but I haven't put cabbage and I usually don't do many veggies because I'm always scared that the veggies are going to get too mushy. So maybe yeah. the red wine would make them too mushy, but without, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'd have to play around with that, but I'm glad to know that I have the... Vera approved pot roast. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Great. Okay, now we're getting into some territory that I am not an expert by any means in, but you are. And so for people like me who don't bake a lot, what's some easy dishes to bake? Well, you know, what we start with, you know, I do a summer camp for children. Uh-huh. And it was actually a diversification for my business, you know, as as a mail order uh, company for, you know, 30 plus years, um, we, we always had good business, bottom line business um, during any holiday because people wanted the foods that we made to use during those holidays. And then for us here in Augusta, the other boost to us was that we do catering 
surrounding the Masters Golf Tournament. Mm-hmm. It really well then. My accountant looked to me back in 2004. He said, you use all the profit in your company to stay alive in the summer when there's really nothing going on. And, and that was true. So he said, mm-hmm. you've got to come up with something you can do within the walls of your business to make money in the summer. Well, as a former home economics teacher, it was a no-brainer that I would bring children into my building in the summer and teach them how to cook. And so the recipe that we always started with was cookies because there's so many principles of baking that you could teach through a cookie Mm. about room temperature of the ingredients and the temperature of the actual kitchen that you're working in and how far they have to be separated on the pan and, you know, whether you beat a lot or whether you don't beat very much at all and the difference between a rolled cookie and a, you know, one that you slice and bake or a spoon-dropped cookie. And so the principles of baking um, could be so well demonstrated through that. And, of course, we always used, you know, the, the typical chocolate chip cookie recipe but we would show the difference between using name brand butter and no name butter and maybe using margarine instead of butter and, you know, letting the, all the ingredients come to room temperature as opposed mm-hmm. to bringing everything straight out of the refrigerator and trying to make it. So it became a very interesting, you know, process for these children to recognize the chemistry behind baking right. because that's difference. Mm-hmm. You could love to cook and you could say, let's throw in a little bit more of this and a little bit more of that. And you can't do that with baking. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you if you mess up a batch of cookies, you know, you can crumble them up and put them on ice cream. So you you've not lost a lot. But if you, you know, if you start out with a layer cake, you know, you're gonna have a lot of time, energy, money involved in a in a failure. If you haven't right. learned the basic principles of baking. So my my recommendation is to start with a cookie and perfect it and then move on. You know, move on to um, a dunk cake, so a simple cake that's mixed by hand. Um, one of the things that we took a lot of measures in making sure that we um, educated our readers of our cookbook is all of the times associated with making the perfect cake. For example, a pound cake, you have got to beat cream and sugar for 20 minutes. And it is amazing how many people have written us, you know, have have made comments on Facebook and Instagram that they've had the same recipe for years that, you know, was passed down to them and they've never been able to get it right. But of course, the recipe just said beat the cream and sugar. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm certain that if that cake was perfect, they were beating that cream and sugar forever. But they just didn't think that was important because they figured, well, everybody knows that. And so we've gone Mm -hmm. through every point about how to make sure that it's right. You know, once you've done that, then how long does the next step take? And all of those steps are part of the chemistry for a pound cake to be perfect. And that's that's the king of kings. You know, if you if you can bake the perfect pound cake, then you've you've accomplished baking. You you've done it. Huh. Well, that is good to know. I'm glad that I have your cookbook yeah. now, especially because maybe, <laughs> maybe that'll be my first big push to help with baking. Because yeah. I've always wanted to be a baker, Absolutely. but you're so right. I just throw this in, throw that in while I'm cooking. and But baking is not at all well, like that. And I've had a lot of fails. <laughs> and, and for me, the therapeutic aspect of it now, you know, because I, my free right. time is very limited. So you know, mm-hmm. to, to go ahead and get all those ingredients measured and, you know, even do it the night before. And then the next day, mm-hmm. you know, put your put your music on and, you know, just having the, that butter and sugar creaming and, you know, while you've got your music going and it's just, it, it's, a, it's a delight. And the batter is like velvet 
and it's it, it's undescribable. I mean, if, if you've only ever made a cake out of a box, you have not experienced batter. I mean, there is nothing like pound cake batter. It, it is phenomenal. I do love batter. <laughs> it is my it favorite is. part of baking. <laughs> Absolutely. So besides your own cookbook, which I'm extra excited about now, because I think if you don't grow up with someone who bakes often or he cooks often, and since not many places offer home right. economics anymore, um, you don't learn those mm-hmm. things. You don't learn how much time goes into it. So besides your own cookbook, um, is there any other cookbook that you think that every home cook or wannabe home cook uh, should well, have? I, I absolutely love... Bon Appetit, y'all. That is Virginia Willis's book. And she too is just, she has a very deep rooted history of growing up, you know, in an environment with a, with a grandmother that really loved to cook and loved the the history behind the ingredients that went into it. And I, 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 to this minute, I still find myself you know, I'm going to make Virginia Rillis's blackberry cobbler tonight, you know, or just Mm -hmm. one of her soups. They're just, they're, they're very uh, approachable recipes and they're very authentic. If you're looking for, you know, great Southern representation Mm -hmm. of food, that, that is one of my, just my all time favorites. And then Another one that we that we love and we actually give to our advanced campers in our camping program is the Southern Living Cookbook. And, you know, for a, mm-hmm. you know, for most of our advanced campers are um, 12 to 14 years of age. So they've been with me for at least three years. And, wow. you know, for them to get a book that is colorful and and has a lot of um, variety in what is offered. Uh, it it's a very it's a it's another very educational book. It's it's an affordable book and it and it has some really great uh, recipes in it. So those two for me are the two that I would choose. Which I think I have Southern Living on my shelf, and I do absolutely love it. I don't remember. I have a lot of Southern Living cookbooks, but I don't know if I have like the Southern yeah. Living cookbook. If that makes sense. They just have mm-hmm. so many. Um, I'm gonna have to look mm-hmm. into that. And I know I don't have Bon Appetit, y'all. So yeah, I don't that have that one. Amazon. I have to look into that. Yeah, that's <laughs> now. <laughs> um, and so if Jackie and I like uh, dress really like we're a child, can we be in your camp? Or- yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. I was thinking oh the same God. thing. Well, you know, and I've, I've franchised my camp. So, oh, I didn't yeah, know that. So now um, this summer will be our 16th year having our summer camp. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, about five years ago, I started thinking, you know, this is so popular. We sell out the camp, mm-hmm. you know, before the month of April and have a waiting list. And mm-hmm. it's more than just cooking. It's etiquette. It's table manners. It's um, entrepreneurship. You know, you're making cupcakes today. Now, what are you going to name your cupcake company and how mm-hmm. are you going to market your cupcake? So we, we teach all of those things. And so five years ago, we started really getting very structured in the process. You know, did this, how long did it take a six-year-old to make this recipe? And was the craft that we chose for them, you know, age appropriate? And we managed after four years to really develop a very fine educational module for, for this program in the different levels. And so I approached um, the some of the school private school systems that offer summer camps, you know, that already have a camp program mm-hmm. in place that has like soccer camp or art camp or history camp. Um, and they didn't have a culinary aspect. And uh, mm-hmm. so we we've got six locations now, other than Augusta, where wow. your camp is is done. And um, I'm, I'm really proud of that. And it's, it's, 
it's probably one of still one of my most passionate aspects of what I do. Yeah, I remember that you had that. Um, I didn't realize that you were still doing yeah. that and that you had franchise. I did a culinary camp at uh, Augusta Prep one year, but I don't think it was nearly as involved. Yeah, I would have adored that. That and sewing are two things I wish I would have learned more about, I guess. Well, this, um, um, you know, mm-hmm. here again a few minutes ago, I said that sometimes you 10 years later say, oh, that's why that happened. And, you mm-hmm. know, the, the camp mm-hmm. was started because my accountant said I had to diversify and make money in the summer. Right. And then, you know, right. six years ago, I have a camper that's now outgrown camp that writes me a note and says, you know, I want to volunteer to help you. Well, I never used anybody in camp that wasn't a college student or an adult. And I thought, well, I can't have a 14-year-old, almost 15-year-old assisting in camp. And 24 hours later, I thought, well, they could be a junior counselor. They could just be, we could create a junior counselor program. So this child invented now what is an active part of my program is that if you enjoy camp, then that could be your first job. You can be a junior counselor at the very, very camp. So this year, that child that wrote me that note is graduating from high school. She is still involved as a counselor in my camp, and she was just two weeks ago told that she will now be the founder and honorary name bearer of the Very Vera Camp Scholarship Program. And for her senior project to graduate from Augusta Prep, she is writing the mission statement and all the criteria that will be presented on February 1st the area schools for educators to nominate um, deserving students to possibly be awarded one of five of these scholarships. Oh, that's amazing. So I love that. I'm here again, you know, it started as a cooking camp and look what it's doing. Uh-huh. That's amazing. Jackie mm-hmm. and I both went to prep, so we're very familiar with the senior project. <laughs> this, um, this child is something else. So you'll be reading all about her on veryveracamp.com. Okay, I will definitely check it out. That's so special. That's yes. so awesome. And it's funny how little things that started because of one reason then turns into such an I integral part of your business. So that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Kind of going off of, we were talking about pound cakes. And once you master the pound cake, then you might be a semi-expert baker. Um, in your opinion, what's some of the hardest like cooking techniques to master? So whether that's well, baking that, that was about the e- That was the easiest question for me to answer. Okay. (laughs) And you're going to fall out of your chair with my answer. But the hardest thing to do and do it really, really well is fried chicken. I can believe it. I burnt my leg on fried chicken a couple years ago. Mine never stay on the chicken. (laughs) My breading doesn't stay on my chicken. I understand that. You certainly have either a franchise or a restaurant that makes the best Mm -hmm. you ever tasted. But can you go home and make that mm-hmm. yourself? No, not with the bread okay. and gone. You know, and you know <laughs> why you can't? Because you can't read how to do it. You've got oh. to stand there. You've got to watch it. You've got to feel it. You've got to smell it. You have to be trained by a person to do it. And if oh. there is here again, there is so much involved in doing that well from how the how you prepare that raw chicken to, right, to receive right. that breading, what temperature and mm-hmm. what type of oil you're using, how you know to where at what point in the browning process you need to turn that heat down and put a lid on it because that's how the internal part of the chicken right see that's the that's the pressure cooker at the restaurant which you don't have so now Mm -hmm. you've got to figure out at what point do i turn this heat down and put the lid on it and then when do i lift the lid and and get the chicken back up to that crisp and you know it's you got to really love to want to do it to do it but think about years ago there wasn't a chicken restaurant you know, right. I mean, my my right. grand my grandparents didn't get to go chicken at the local franchise, you know, uh-huh. and so they all knew how to do it. They knew how to fry it. 
They knew how to fry pork chop, fry chicken. Um, and so to me, I, you know, I, I don't do it very often, but I know how to do it because my mother-in-law taught me how to do that. Mm -hmm. And she was the king mm -hmm. of fried chicken. And she did it in a Dutch oven and she used Wesson oil and she soaked that chicken in buttermilk overnight and she breaded it with um, self-rising flour and she had several seasonings that she put in it and she knew exactly when by, by look what color that crust was supposed to be when you put that lid on it. Right. And then, you know, it was mm -hmm. a, a combination of smell and couldn't hear something anymore. You know, you couldn't hear that noise anymore in the pan. And you lifted that lid and turned that heat up. And then she would stack it because like the, the big chicken breast takes longer. So you start stacking it. Mm -hmm. So the, the wings and the oh. legs, you get out of the oil that you stack them up on top of the breast. Oh, I mean, it was process, but it was. Okay. I have never tried to do it that involved, which is probably why I have Yummy. failed. So <laughs> that is actually comforting for me to hear because in Tennessee, in Nashville, they have hot chicken, which oh. is fried chicken with just like, you know, more spices yeah. or whatever. And it's amazing. And I love spicy food, but I have tried and the breading always falls off. So now I know mm -hmm. that it is harder than it seems, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> So that would be the hardest cooking technique in my book. I can I can certainly believe it, especially now knowing, mm -hmm. I guess, because I didn't grow up, you know, my mom didn't cook fried chicken or anything. So I didn't know, you know, just how involved it actually was. Let's wrap up. We've got a couple more questions. And these are more just practical how to work in the kitchen things. And I'm going to admit these were purely <laughs> selfish on my part when I wrote them. Um, so do you have any tips for cleaning your oven or cleaning your other um, appliances well, it's in the, the kitchen? the same pledge that you make to yourself when you clean out your closet okay. that you're <laughs> going to keep it that way. And so everybody needs mm -hmm. to look in the mirror and think about <laughs> how long did that last. So you go through the mm -hmm. brutal process of cleaning an oven. Even if you have a self-cleaning oven, there's still work involved. And so yeah. then you make that pledge mm -hmm. that you're going to clean up that spill and you're going to put the sheet pan under something that you think might spill over and then you don't do it. So honestly, <laughs> the best tip I mm -hmm. have is to, is to, is to really, you know, do get the willpower and make the pledge that you're going to keep it clean. Because honestly, if you do that, you don't mm -hmm. ever have to clean it. Um, it, it's just, okay. it, you know, like at the end of the week, like, of course, here in, on our property in the cottage where we where we cook, you know, we have end of the day activities that we do in terms of keeping our equipment clean. But then we get a little bit more involved with it on Friday afternoon, preparing to leave for the week and things like cleaning the glass in the oven and just, you know, wiping mm -hmm. off the racks and, and cleaning that is is part of what we do, um, and so it it's it's not going to work for everybody. But to me, that would be the best tip: is just try to maintain keeping it clean and protect anything that you can. If you think something's going to spill over, is just put that sheet pan under it, mm -hmm. or put the sheet pan on the next rack down. Um, you know, use aluminum foil if you're concerned that something might spill over. Um, would be my best recommendation there. So we have to add that, that to our power hour cleaning. Jackie and I talk a lot about that. So add, wipe down the oven to that. I wipe down the microwave, but I have to admit mm -hmm. the oven gets neglected. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I feel like it's easier just to pretend like it's not there. So what our last question for you is, uh, and I think Jackie, you wrote this, but I feel you on this I too. definitely did. <laughs> resorted to wearing sunglasses when cutting onions to keep from crying. So do you have any tips for how to cut an onion without crying? Okay. So here again, you're going to, you're going to not believe this answer. Okay. <laughs> so when you're cutting up an onion, you don't want to breathe through your nose. You want okay. to breathe through okay. your mouth. So make a point oh. to, to 
take oh, take yeah. in breathing through your mouth because what happens and while you're crying is those fumes are going up your nose and they're getting to mm-hmm. the sensory mm-hmm. part of your eyes. The other thing is if you, you know, you mess up and you start the crying and, you know, the tears are going everywhere <laughs> is to open up your freezer and just open up your eyes and let mm-hmm. that cold air hit your eyes. And that will, I mean, we used to, back in the day, we used to walk into the walk-in freezer at work. And, you know, when we were making Vidalia onion dip by the vat, uh, we would (laughs) walk into the walk-in freezer and it would go away. So breathe through your mouth when your, your, your breath might not be so hot after that, but at least you're not crying anymore. That's a great tip. I'm going to have to remember that. Yeah. And my husband told me to, to open the freezer and I didn't believe him because he doesn't cook or anything. So I guess That's I'll have right. to tell him he was right. I've heard of freeze, like <laughs> to freeze your onion before you cut it, but I don't want a frozen no, onion if I'm going to no, make salad or something. No. So I don't mm-hmm. like that tip. No. So I'd like your. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> to wrap it up, will you let our listeners know where they can buy your cookbook and where they can find you online? Absolutely. So that they we can would learn love more. to send you to our website at veryvera.com. And up at the top, you'll see cookbooks. So just click there. And there's also a section where I can personalize the book for you um, when you place your order. So on the order form, I'm happy to do a personalization. Um, it's also in, you know, some of the um boutique stores and some of our markets it's also on amazon so do you have a facebook page or instagram where people can yes so um our facebook is at very vera stewart and same thing for instagram great awesome and we'll put links to those in our show notes so our listeners can find it very easily thank you so much for being on we've we're just so honored to have you you've been an icon for both of us so i'm just Mm -hmm. pink (laughs) i'm thrilled for the opportunity and i appreciate you your invitation so much thank you so much for listening i hope that you enjoyed today's episode with vera if you want to follow us off air you can find us at the millennial homemakers on instagram or me at jacqueline hum on Instagram and Jackie at JV Alexander 16. And if you want to join our Millennial Homemaker Community Facebook group, then just search the Millennial Homemakers on Facebook. You can see our page and our group and just request to join and we can continue the conversation there. Thanks for listening.